I'm Effie, a life coach who profoundly gives a fuck about you feeling better for good. I teach people how to cut the crap and live according to their own rules. It's a crime we don't learn this stuff in school, but it's simpler than you think to break the pattern and start living the life you want. Listen on to find out how. Hi, and welcome to Feeling Better for Good. Ah, I am feeling okay today and also very sad and have been noticing some anger coming up. I am getting ready to say goodbye to one of my best friends ever. Actually, <laughs> the best friends I've ever had. My 14-year-old terrier mix named Garrison Ford. We call him Gary for short. And he has been a part of my life since 2009. He has been in, I think, at least a couple of my movies. And uh, he, um, his body has just gotten to the point where it's time to let go. So I have scheduled a vet to come to the house and we're going to let him go peacefully and, yeah, in his own space. <sighs> so it's a lot. It's a lot to hold. And I also feel like there's a lot of healing around this decision. I remember as a child, even when I was older, that our family dog, oh God, I must have been like probably 17 at this point, but our family dog had just gotten old and was sick and and maybe I didn't want to be involved. I don't remember, but I'm not sure if I was invited. But I just remember him like disappearing one day. And my dad had taken him to the vet. And then that was that. And yeah, I feel like it's really important to be transparent with my own children about death and how it's such a part of life. And that even though it's painful to let go and to say goodbye, especially to such a good friend and family member as Gary has been. It's also such a celebration of love, just the fact that we get to experience this loss, that we are having this loss, is that we had great love. So I didn't anticipate starting the episode that way. I just felt like... I needed to be honest about where I was at. Um, and this is all coming up because letting go of a pet, I feel like, is also letting go of an era. He, in so many ways, is a symbol of all the lives that I've led in the past that he's been around for. He was there as I was just getting my start as a filmmaker and a creative here in Los Angeles. And that part of my life, that chapter of my life is over now. I mean, I'm still super creative and, you know, a creatrix and <laughs> and doing uh, a lot of that same type of stuff, but I'm no longer making movies. And so this episode is an homage to my sweet Garrison Ford and the lives that we've lived together. And so I want to share with you five lessons about life that I learned from filmmaking and my time with Garrison Ford. So I have always, always been a storyteller. It's in my bones. It's in my blood. I'm just a raconteur through and through. And I became a life coach after 16 years in the entertainment industry. And 
It was really incredible to have the experience of collaborating on other people's visions through that time, and even more incredible to actually build teams, my own teams that helped me realize my own original stories. And so much of what I learned in that career is applicable to the work that I do now and to just life in general. So yeah, today's episode is about the five most valuable lessons I learned from pounding the pavement in the City of Angels. So of course, lots of people come to Hollywood looking for their big break. That is no mystery. When you come from somewhere else looking to do something big, you tend to run into a lot of the the, the same type of people who come here looking to do something big, to reinvent themselves or to be discovered. And I definitely did. I had fantasies of like just happening to be in front of some big name director in line at Starbucks and, you know, based on my immaculate vibes, they would just insist on casting me as the lead in their next three blockbusters. <laughs> yeah, I had that. I had that. So many people come here ill-equipped to deal with the pressures of life in the big city, like how they'll pay rent, etc. And with these kind of pie-in-the-sky visions, I did. I was also willing to do the work. I didn't really have the tools to be able to manage my own emotional state and my mindset through that time, to be on the receiving end of constant rejection, to be away from family, to be always hustling, looking for my next job, and to also have any number of B jobs, which I learned a ton from, to be able to support myself. So look, I was a certified massage therapist when I landed here, which was fantastic. That's how I worked my way through college and made it so that I never had to wait at a table in LA. So I was actually privileged in that. And in Hollywood at the time, you could go for a short drive and find any number of like discarded furnitures on the curb from folks who couldn't hack it, like either got evicted or, you know, tucked tail and, and went back to where they came from or whatever. So that's actually how I furnished my first place. <laughs> I came here, I didn't have much, very little savings, but I was also scrappy. I mean, you've got to be scrappy to make it here, certainly in the beginning as you kind of find your bearings. So I got real creative with found objects I remember I made a bookshelf out of a discarded pallet once, for example. And so that really served me once I got into filmmaking, once I actually started producing films, which wasn't necessarily my aim when I got here. I was much more interested in the performing side of things. But in filmmaking, no matter what is the name of the game. And that's the first lesson I learned that has served me so well in life. The lesson that Commitment creates freedom. Commitment creates freedom. You've got to green light yourself. Like really take responsibility for green lighting yourself, your own dreams, your own action in the direction of your dreams. If you don't, it's just not going to work. If you keep waiting for somebody to green light you, somebody to discover you or to find out, you know, what an amazing talent you are under the surface without actually having to <laughs> work for it. And the reason that commitment creates freedom is that at any given point, there are infinite reasons to say no and to shut it down, to shut down a creative project. For example, with the first film that I had written and decided to produce, I formed a little production company, I found an investor, 
And I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I had the story that I needed to tell. And this was before, certainly before the time where everybody had a a camera in their pockets and were making content just all the time. This was back when it was a little bit novel to actually just go out on a limb and create for yourself. And I thought, you know what? That's what I'm going to do here. So I just moved forward boldly. I made a lot of mistakes. I started creating a team. The team started falling apart. (laughs) I had most things in place about a week out from production after we scheduled our production dates. And then we lost our director to a scheduling conflict. And so we were without a director. And I was kind of forced to decide like, okay, well, what am I going to do here? We don't have time to get a new director and get them all up to speed. So we could just push the project and basically risk everything that we've built, the cast, the crew, everything that we have created for ourselves here. Because then, of course, we would come up with, come against new scheduling conflicts and new problems. Or there was one solution that kind of presented itself to me as I was talking to uh, my associate producer who suggested, well, why don't you step in? Now, I didn't have directing experience, at least film directing experience. I'd been on a handful of sets and and then I directed theater, but I didn't really have that experience. And I chose to, yeah, I chose to green light the project. I chose to green light myself it was a struggle, I remember, at least the first like day or so. The first half day was like, wow, this is kind of <laughs> this is kind of a lot. And of course there were consequences to that decision too. We lost our other lead actor because they didn't have confidence in me as as director. But it was easier to we ended up finding an amazing person who stepped in, just she was like meant for this role. So anyway, the point is, there are infinite reasons to say no, to shut things down at any given point. And if you don't continually greenlight yourself, continue to say yes, decide, like in advance to move forward, no matter what, you just refuse to stay stuck for long, then you will create conditions for constant creativity, resourcefulness, and you will be essentially in perpetual problem-solving mode. That's what's required. It's normal to have a crisis of faith, but you can't continually doubt yourself for the project if you want to get it done. It just won't happen without your total and complete commitment. And even with that, there's no guarantee your shit will get done or it'll get done in the way you imagine and in the time you want. And just as as an example of this, because this happens on all levels, it's not just independent film, it's studio pictures, pictures that are backed with a lot of money, For example, um, Terry Gilliam was making a film adaptation of the novel Don Quixote, and the production was beset with all of these like acts of God type problems. The movie didn't get made. They were doing behind the scenes footage that they ended up making a documentary film about. Even though the movie didn't get made, they put out a different movie, a documentary called Lost in La Mancha. Uh, This was in 2002, and it it was actually pretty hilarious to see this production, even despite Terry Gilliam's total commitment, it just falling apart. So he continued to develop the project, even though it fell apart at the seams. Gilliam finally got his Don Quixote movie made 
29 years later, like 29 years later after he started developing it. And the fun part about this is that there was a second documentary made telling the story of his decades long fight to birth this film baby. So actually, in his quest to create one film, he actually created three. The film itself, which took almost 30 years to make, <laughs> and two documentaries. That's just a testament to his commitment, but also his ability to release the reins on the ultimate outcome. Like, it did not happen in the time that he wanted it to, and it didn't happen in the way he imagined that it would happen, but it did happen. So, yeah, success in the way you imagine it is absolutely not a guarantee, but you want to take that variable of commitment off the table. Just like if you don't succeed, or if you don't succeed in the time you think, That you should succeed, or in the way that you think you should succeed, that it wasn't your commitment. It's hard enough already. Doubt and half assed effort make everything a thousand times harder, and I would say even make it inevitable that you will fail. But if you go in with full commitment, there, is, there isn't any failure, really, there's only winning and learning. So, the second life lesson I learned was from my time as a performer, but it's been incredibly useful outside of that context as well. It's super helpful for building confidence and esteem, as well as reducing anxiety and showing up authentically to relationships. It's called the status set point. So, the status set point is actually an acting exercise, or I learned it from an acting exercise for creating dramatic tension in scenes. And what it is, is as I learned it for scene work, is that you want to go into the scene having set your status just slightly above or slightly below the other person in the scene. You don't want to set it a lot higher or a lot lower because that just ends up kind of seeming ridiculous. Just a little bit, you want to calibrate it just a little bit higher, a little bit lower. And this slight sense of superiority or inferiority creates a dramatic tension that is so compelling to watch. And it's really, really helpful for if a scene is kind of missing that juice. It is not so helpful in life to have that dramatic tension, right? We're, we're wanting to reduce the dramatic tension consciously in order to feel better for good. So, I teach my clients this is to, if they're struggling in a relationship, oftentimes, oftentimes, more often than not, it's because they are taking a superior stance or an inferior stance, even if it's just slight. And so I teach them how to set their, and this is, this is just a, a simple decision, set their status equal to the other person. Equal to their partner, equal to the friend, equal to their parent. And they notice an immediate shift in the way that they're approaching the situation. So, a client of mine recently used this to great effect in her dating life. She was getting discouraged playing out this pattern of seeing, like, an attractive woman, for example, after a yoga class and feeling totally paralyzed to approach her like she wanted to. And her thought was, she's too hot for me. And so she was unintentionally lowering her own status compared to the girl's status, which made her feel small and insecure. So, the wonderful thing about the human brain is it doesn't know the difference between you just thinking about something and it actually happening. Believe it or not, that's why using our imagination with coaching the unconscious mind is so incredibly powerful. 
So when my client just simply thought about that memory or the next time she sees that hot girl after the yoga class, she did this status set point. So she set her status in her brain at the same level of this other person. And what she noticed when she did that is that her chest opened and her shoulders went down and it felt like a completely different body stance. So her body actually shifted and emotionally she felt proud, capable, and confident. This really works. It's so incredibly helpful in relationship. And if you notice in the middle of a scene that you're playing out, like legit a scene in the movie of your life that you are <laughs> currently playing out, that your status starts to slip a little bit and you notice you're, you're feeling a bit inferior or superior, you can just shift it again, shift that status set point, set it to equal again in a moment and watch things transform. Now, the third lesson I learned from filmmaking has to do with storytelling. And when you're telling a story, specificity is key. This is poetry 101. It's not the door had a red doorknob. It's the pulsing red doorknob seemed to be calling my name. For example, okay, that sounds super sexual, but <laughs> you know what I mean. So let me give you a better example. This is from an actual script of mine. The crux of it, it could have been said that a cross-dresser buys some videos. But instead, as I wrote it, Liesel shuffles up to the clerk with a stack of Blu-rays. He wears a maxi skirt and lipstick on his bottom lip only. So isn't that such a clear visual? You really get the sense of who this person is. The shuffling and then the maxi skirt and the lipstick on the bottom lip only. Even his name, it all is so very specific. You can use this principle in your life and your relationships to create more intimacy. Specifically, with appreciating others in a very specific way to create more love and goodwill. So in parenting, this is one way that you can use it, that I've used it, is noticing specifics about what my kid does well. Because we can be so attuned to and so habituated to seeing what we don't like and then trying to correct it that we miss all the stuff they are doing right or well. And if you're like, yeah, but my kid does nothing right, I can assure you <laughs> that's not true and that that is a you problem. So the rule of thumb is that for every one correction you give, you give five pieces of positive feedback that are very specific. So for example, I love the way you folded the blanket on the couch and arranged the pillows before we left your play date. That tells me you really care about their things and it was a good example for your sister. That's what my daughter did last night. I asked her to clean up and she started just doing this amazing thing. And had I missed it, I would have missed an opportunity to love her in a very specific way. Just notice the difference between, notice the difference between that and, oh, thanks for cleaning up or just expecting it, right? And then notice the difference here, like just saying, oh, thanks for dinner. It was really good. It's a very general type of compliment, right? And notice as you find one specific thing that you really loved about the dinner and just say that instead. So for example, you did the vegetables a perfect level of al dente. It's really hard to do. I love that crisp kind of snapping when I bit in. It's 
different. The quality of the attention is different. So building goodwill, love, and intimacy with the power of attention, the power of your attention in a very specific way. And this is a lost art. The fourth lesson I learned from filmmaking is just huge. It's the the power of personal responsibility. When working towards something you want, focus only on what's within your power. And this really goes to the first lesson. So if you get all wrapped up in the variables outside of your control, you focus your energies there, one of two things tends to happen. And there's always going to be variables outside of your control, right? Just like with Terry Gilliam, you're going to have weird weather things. You're going to have uh, scheduling issues with, in, in his case, it was Johnny Depp, I think was the lead actor. And and there was all these weird things that came up, like not normal weird, but like extra weird. But look, they were outside of his control. There's always things like that, legalities, permits with filmmaking there's just an infinite number as with life so if you keep those in mind really focus on the variables outside of your control one of two things are going to happen you either use those variables as excuses not to move forward which obviously keeps you stuck and disenfranchised or you start trying to manipulate or change what's not within your power to change which is a colossal waste of time and energy, and it will create frustration and resentment. And let's be honest, when you're working on a project like a film or the art of living, your time and energy is precious and is just much better spent on the things that actually are within your power. How you show up. How you show up. For the most part, I mean, sometimes we we just can't show up and we can't get ourselves to show up. But for the most part, that is within your power to work on, right? By the way, you can do a combination of these two, which I call the yo-yo effect. So oscillating between the place where you're half in or just like quiet quitting and the desperate place where you're driving things forward by trying to control the uncontrollable and basically being a tyrant and attempting to bend life to your will. (laughs) And that is an exhausting cycle to be stuck in. All right, so the last lesson, or at least in this series, the fifth lesson that I learned from filmmaking is to work what you've got. So this goes back to the resourcefulness that I was mentioning before. I learned this, uh, especially from uh, Werner Herzog, I studied with him in his rogue film school years and years ago. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. On the first day of the class, it was this kind of small class, and the first day of class, he taught us how to pick a lock and how to forge documents. So you know what I was saying a little bit ago about like things that are outside of your control? Like That's all relative, too. <laughs> Anyway, I've never, I think, picked a lock for a production or um, forged a, a document, but I have definitely asked for forgiveness rather than permission, and that served me uh, quite well in a lot of ways, as long as it's not like you know overly dangerous. <laughs> so this work what you've got philosophy really, really served me, and I'll give you an example. I joined this filmmaking competition. It was a two-week filmmaking competition back in, I believe, 2012. It was back before there were 2020s. So 2012, it was called the Collaboration Filmmakers Challenge. It was so great because, and it's still in existence today, 
It was so great because it really valued collaboration and working together in order to get a, a project to the finish line. And so the first week, I was somebody else's collaborator, so I helped them get... Actually, I think I was the first week. And then the second week, I collaborated with them on helping them get their project done. And we drew names from a hat. They were completely random assignments, so this wasn't a person that I'd ever worked with before. His name was Xavier. He's wonderful. And so on our first meeting, I sat down like... Oh, and this was so exciting in the competition, too, because we had to pitch five different ideas for short films. And then the competition itself, the people who created it, picked which one we were going to do. So I immediately, I sat down with Xavier. I was like, all right, what do you got? What do we have access to? Locations, items, costumes, people. Like, what do you have access to? And we created a list of everything, all of our resources. These included a gorilla suit, <laughs> a clown costume at the time i was performing as a party clown on the weekend so i had all my <laughs> all my bag of tricks i had the full costume that believe it or not i come from a long line of professional clowns and so this was a handmade costume made by princess my aunt's um best friend my auntie bond who's bon bon the clown who's just like the most amazing clown anyway i digress and uh, we just put a list together of all of the things that we could collectively bring to the table. And it was really a hodgepodge of things. And then what I did was I wrote the pitches around our resources. Delightfully, the one that ended up getting picked was the clown one. And I thought this is perfect because I can use the gorilla suit as well in this kind of surrealistic. It ended up being an homage to David Lynch because I just finished watching uh, both seasons of Twin Peaks at the time. And so, um, you know what? I'll probably link the movie in the show notes. It's called Winner. I ended up winning the competition. There were something like 60 filmmakers, including $10,000. And it cost me less than $100 to make this film. What I spent the most money on was pizza for the cast and crew. <laughs> so work what you've got. You don't need much, but you got to work what you've got. And to be able to work what you've got, you have to see what you've got and really appreciate the value of what you have right now in your life in this moment. So thank you for spending time with me. I really love being with you. And thank you for just sharing this day with me. It's Valentine's Day. It is a very special day in my family again Thanks for sharing the love with me, and I'll see you next week. Bye. If you're ready to do the work to move forward on what you want and actually get it, I can help you. I'm offering my podcast listeners a free consultation with me to talk about what coaching can do for you this year. Just visit effielavore.com to get started.